Okay, shall we uh, shall we kick off? Mike, I think you Let's go. Great. Welcome everybody. Um, it's been a while. We've uh, we haven't had coffee with commercial, I think, for a couple of weeks. So it's good to to get back together again and get our knowledge management up and running. Um, I think you know these are these are really important uh efforts to keep us all on top of what's going on and changes in the law etc um so yeah we should make every effort to attend these things even the old buddies like me um need to attend because you never you never stop learning so just thanks to lisa and jacques for keeping it going and doing all the organizing um it's really it's really a great Great idea. Um, so yeah, let's jump in. Um, the subject for today and the next coffee with commercial is methods of valuing businesses or companies, and then the relevance of that for commercial lawyers and drafting agreements. Okay, and how this concept of value that parties may agree on in a transaction for a, for a purchase and a sale, sort of move through into the transactional documents um, and what that dynamic means and how we manage then drafting. Okay, so I'm going to be dealing with uh, the, the net, at, net asset value concept and Adam will deal with the earnings multiple, those are two valuation methodologies. They're the two main ones. There are hybrids in the middle, kind of gray areas. There's, you can get mixes of those two. Um, and which one you choose depends on why you are valuing a business, okay? So there's many, many reasons why um, people or corporates want to value a business. So, for example, a bank may wish to value a company or an asset for the purposes of lending uh, asset-based finance lending um, into the entity, they will use a valuation method very different to somebody, let's say, who is wishing to purchase um, a advertising agency, for example, okay, um, or somebody who's wishing to purchase a wine farm or a car manufacturing business. So, so all of them are very different animals, okay, with very different asset bases and, and dynamics. So we just need to be aware that one shoe doesn't fit all, and Adam and I are going to keep it very high level kind of introductory, just so that we're aware of the issues as we go into um, taking instructions for a, for a transaction and then drafting the agreements. Um, yeah, okay, so, so why do we as commercial lawyers um, need to know something about how the parties got to the value? Let us just call it the purchase price, okay? Now, we've got to be a bit careful because many purchase prices are derived with absolutely no, no methodology whatsoever. So, for example, a trophy wine farm, um, ordinarily, well, for the most part, is brought, is bought or valued and paid for purchase prices agreed with no, with no, um, no relevance as to 
the NAV of the farm or its earnings potential. It is very often trophy assets are wealthy people I want, I must have, and I will pay whatever it is. Okay, so those are not the kind of transactions where this sort of stuff is often relevant, but 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 let's not deal with those ones. Those are the unusual ones. Okay, so why do we need to understand evaluation method? Okay, so what's important to kind of appreciate, and often we don't we don't we don't put it in context. Okay, is that the negotiation process and the conclusion of agreements and then transfer of assets takes place over a long period of time. So you know parties may start negotiating. To purchase an asset in January, they may sign agreements by March, their conditions precedent may be fulfilled by October, and delivery may take place in December or transfer. Okay, so you could have a year period of time from when the parties agree to purchase price to actual final transfer and delivery date and payment date. And in that period, the asset, the subject matter of the sale may be morphing and changing. In fact, it is. I can't think of a of an asset other than possibly a residential development that isn't changing every single day. So, you know, if one takes, for example, an easy example is a, is a, let's just say a wine farm, it's a live living animal, excuse the pun. Okay. Um, you know, you, you're going to have a farm that's trading every single day. It is, it's got, it's got, it is say uh, wine in the, there's crop on the land. There's crop in the back of a, of a bucky. There's crop being processed in the winery. There's bottles being produced. There's bottles being delivered. There's bottles on the shelves in, in, in wine shops all over the place. There is um, there's pesticides and, and raw materials being purchased and consumed on a daily basis. And as all of that is happening, value is changing, okay? It's particularly on a net asset value basis. So, you know, you, you're, you're and, and it applies to any business, okay? It is a live living animal. It's buying and selling. It's got stock. It's not got stock. And as a result, the subject matter of what the parties contemplated as, the, as, the, as, the, as what they're buying and selling changes, okay, over time and over the, over the, over the kind of transaction program. And we need to understand what that means because what the parties saw on the 1st of January when they agreed to buy and sell is not exactly what's going to be delivered on transfer date, okay? And what does that mean to us as, as draftsmen? Well, it means that we need to raise the possibility of price adjustments between whatever the, whatever the, the benchmark dates are, like a signature date, obviously in a transfer date okay but that's for another day um that's the concept of or should i say the context of what we're going to discuss and where we're going to lead to in the in the next um session okay um so i guess without much further ado adam do you want to jump into this concept of valuation based on earnings of a business. Um, and then after that, I will deal with the concept of valuing based on a net asset value of a business. Thanks, Mike. So look, I think the starting point of 
any valuation of a company is valuation tends to be a subjective exercise and our job as lawyers is to remove as much subjectivity as we can so that where there is some sort of valuation methodology that's incorporated into the agreements, that it becomes objective. And, and the contractual principle that drives that is uh, the concept of agreements to agree are not enforceable in South Africa. If, 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 if an essential term of a contract or an essentialia still needs to be agreed, uh, you've got no valid and binding contract. So when it comes to either pricing or price adjustment, we need to take that subjectivity out of the valuation and, and put it in an objective, unambiguous way in the contract. That's our job, right? Because, you know, if, if, if you're valuing something of yours, it's always worth more to you than to someone else, whether it's your home, uh, your vehicle, uh, your family, or your shares in, in the company you may have started, right? It's always going to be worth more to you uh, than, than, than to someone else. And the, the, what drives business is a willing buyer and a willing seller. And the market value of something or the fair market value of something is something that a willing buyer and a willing seller would agree to, right? So all these valuation methodologies uh, come into play uh, when somebody wants to buy something from somebody else. And, and I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about Two, two sort of concepts which are interlinked. The one's called the price earnings multiple, or also called market comparables. And the other one is a discounted cash flow. And, you know, as, as Mike said, you know, it's, you can't use the same methodology for, for, all, for all types of companies. So let's say I own a, an IT company and this IT company has no assets. There's maybe a few desks and chairs. It doesn't even own its laptops. These are all leased. If you look at the net asset value of that company, which Michael explained to you, it's going to be a pretty low number. So the question is, how do you how do you value this? How do you value this company? You've probably got to value the software that it owns. And how do you value software? You can't really value software. The only way to value that company is to say, well, this software can be sold to customers. Those customers sign up contracts. The longer those contracts are, the more secure the cash flow of this company is. A five-year contract is worth a lot more than a one-year contract. And how discounted cash flow works is a company presents to a valuer all the fixed-term contracts it has. The valuer looks at these contracts and says, well, you've got contracts for two years, three years, or five years. It's with credible blue chip clients. People won't really default. If there are some sort of, you know, iffy customers, they may be discounting or take them out of the equation. And they say, if everything goes according to plan and I add up year on year your income from this, this is the number. But because you've got to wait a period of time to earn that money, whether it's two years or five years, I'm going to discount that money to today's present value. And, you know, discount, discount ratios vary between 15 and 20%. And so what it means is, you know, if, 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 the, if the income of this company over the next five years is going to be 10 million rand, they then apply a discount of 20% to that 10 million rand. And they say, well, 
that 10 million rand is actually worth 8 million rand today. And whoever wants to buy this company, you pay 8 million rand for it today. And how you make your money is you, you wait 10 years, uh, five years to make the 10 million rand. That's discounted cash flow. So, so you'll appreciate to have a, to use the discounted cash flow valuation. You need some sort of one, a historic track record, three to five years showing that you could consistently service these contracts, bring in the money. And then you need a bunch of contracts that shows you the longevity of that income based on your track record. So, I mean, a good example of this is if, if I wanted to buy a petrol service station, right? I would probably use all three methodologies to buy the service station. So, one, there'd be a piece of land. A property value would come in and value that land. That would be sort of the fair market value based on what other properties in the area looks like. You know, a service station in Claremont's going to be valued property-wise very different to a service station in Mitchell's Plain or Athlone or Kailicha, right? I mean, that's just the reality. Secondly, there's going to be assets at the service station, pumps, tanks, um, you know, sort of uh, in the store, there's shelving and, and computer equipment and so on. And depending on who owns it, you know, sometimes the oil company owns it, sometimes the landowner owns it, sometimes the operator owns it. That could be a net asset value. But the real value of the service station lies in its cash flow, which is how much how much petrol does it pump every month? Is it 100,000 litres or is it 500,000 litres? And then what you can then do is say, well, this petrol station has a contract with engine for five years. This is its average fuel it pumps. This is its margin it makes on the fuel. And if I can discount that back to today, I take the net asset value, the, net asset value, the property value, and the discounted cash flow, and I have, a, I have a ballpark figure of where I want to start pitching my price, and then I negotiate with, uh, with potential buyers. So that's discounted cash flow. The, the 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 second one I want to talk about is is the price earnings multiple. You 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 hear people talk about PE ratios all the time. So this is this market comparable. So what you do here is you you look at an earning multiple that similar companies in your sector uh, can can request, and that's normally with reference to the the uh, the stock exchange. So a multiple is normally a number that you multiply your profit by. So you'll have P multiples of between four and 15 um, as the norm. And, and normally what happens is, let's say I'm in the asset management industry and the market norm for my industry is coronations PE. Now coronation, I think they trade at a P of, you know, between eight and nine. So what you do is you say, what does coronation make in management fees, right? Take off all the expenses, I get their profit, and then I multiply that profit by eight, and that's what the values were. But coronation is a big company, it's listed, its shares are very liquid on the stock exchange. So if I'm a private asset manager sitting in the Citadel here in Claremont, and I maybe have you know 10 or 30 billion rands worth of assets under management that I make fees on. I can't charge a multiple of eight because I don't have that critical mass that a coordination has. And so, you know, where valuations start to become tricky using using PE ratios is 
you know, is is the multiple four? Is it two or is it six? And you know, that's sort of where, where, where all the armored things start. I want to just quickly um, share a slide with you um, just to give you a sense of how wild valuations can sorry, I don't know if everyone can see that yet. Okay. So on the left-hand side, right, that's what the founder of the business thinks his, his company is worth, right? It's just this fields of green spinach with um, hundreds of millions of rands. Then, then we say, well, listen, you know, we, 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 need, we need some sort of a valuation methodology. And in this slide, it's, it's EBITDA, which is earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. That's for another day, so don't worry about that. So you pick the spinach, you put it in the pan, and then you actually calculate the EBITDA pursuant to due diligence. And then you'll see what happens to your spinach. And then eventually you end up with net income, which is in that last slide. And your, value, your valuation methodology can be anywhere between those sort of two extremes. Um, you know, I think when we when we get into the next lecture, we can we can get into maybe some some more detail and, and talk about concepts like big book value, volume weighted average price, uh, trading at the discount, and 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 valuing startup. Uh, but Mike, that's it for me. Thanks. Yeah, uh, thanks very much, Adam. I think just quickly two things. I I always um. Like to illustrate um, what what kind of a company is most appropriately um, valued on a on an earnings multiple, and and again that's the one I mentioned earlier. Uh, besides you know besides the financial services guys, but if you take an advertising agency, okay, an advertising agency really has no assets. It's probably got a couple of supercomputers, a lot of fancy design software. Its real assets are the the contracts the term contracts it has with clients that produce the cash flow and for which they provide the services so for example if you take a pick and pay would be a very highly valued customer to an ad agency pick and pay will not give you ordinarily um, a, a contract for more than a year uh, but having done that they will they will you will provide exclusively all those services and and the the revenue it is simply a cash flow driven business okay it doesn't have a have a have a big balance sheet it, it doesn't have assets to talk of what it has is a is a bunch of highly paid individuals who provide a design service okay and for that they get paid a fee and after they've paid their bonuses and their rent, uh, you know, they, they will come to a net profit um, somewhere down the line. Can you guys mute, please? Sorry. So, 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 what? When you invest in then in an advertising agency, it's an it's it's actually a fascinating. Um, process of valuation because because what you're doing is you're investing in a in future future revenues but on a on a very short short window contracts okay those contracts are not long so what you're actually investing in is a bunch of a bunch of people who are very skilled okay and their ability to glue those customers like the woolies let's just say if it's retail the the, the 
the pick and pays for a period longer than the fixed term contracts. Okay, so 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 those are incredibly kind of complex uh, and 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 sometimes risky decisions to make, but investors still make them. Um, you know, um, so yeah. And the 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 second thing, Adam, is is when we talk about earnings, okay, that could mean, as you as you touched on in your slide, a whole bunch of things, okay? It could be starting at the bottom, this thing called net profit after tax, then leading up, it could be, uh, you know, earnings before interest, um, tax and, and, and um, amortization. And so we go, then you could have adjusted EBITDA, you could have gross profit, you could have adjusted gross profit. So, so where, you, where you end up on the ladder of the income statement um, is going to determine what, what, what the parties define as earnings, okay? And, 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 that's, and that's quite a, as, as Adam illustrated, there's quite, a, there's quite a number of different concepts all based at different parts of the income statement where you could pitch what you say is the earnings and then apply the multiplier. Um, are there any questions on, on Adam's discussion and this concept of, of earnings as a, as a valuation method? No? Okay. Good. Then moving on to NAV, uh, net asset value methodology. That's a, it's a, it's a lot simpler this methodology, um, and than the earnings multiple. I mean, NAV in its simplest terms is a process where, a, let's say, a buyer in valuing a company will go to its balance sheet. Okay, not the income statement, but the balance sheet portion of the financial statements. And in your kind of common and garden standard stock balance, stock standard balance sheet, you're going to have categories of assets and you're going to have categories of liabilities. So normally the balance sheets start with assets and they've got non-current assets, they've got current assets, uh, they've got equity and then liabilities. Okay. And it's quite a simple process. Um, if one just goes to the balance sheet and one takes the balance sheet numbers and one adds up all the assets, whether they be current or non-current, and one deducts the liabilities, and those liabilities are also can be various categories of liabilities. They can be long-term, short-term, some accounting issues in there, but, but ultimately, based on a balance sheet, you'll get to, some, to, to, to a net asset value. But again, the numbers that you see in a balance sheet aren't necessarily the numbers that parties are going to use uh, when calculating an NAV because those numbers mean different things. So in a balance sheet, you may have an asset um, which is not the market value or the, or the realizable asset, uh, the, sorry, the realizable value of the asset or in fact its replacement value. It, it's going to be more often than not or almost in every circumstance, a written down value. And what I mean by that is, let us say a company buys a massively expensive piece of equipment. Okay, let's just say for 10 million rand, um, that company is going to take on the asset on day one at 10 million rand. That it's a cost. And then it's going to write that that value down through depreciation over time, okay, for tax reasons. 
So when a buyer comes along and he sees a 10 million rand asset now sitting at 2 million rand, that's not the true value that he's going, a buyer is going to attribute or a seller is going to attribute for that line item. Okay, when coming to an NAV, they're going to sit together and they're going to say, well, you know what, replacement value is X, so that's the number we're going to apply to determine NAV. Or um, uh, net realizable value, that's another method of getting to a realistic value of that line item. Uh, and why? Because the depreciated value of that line item is not a true reflection of the value because that asset still has a lifetime to run. It's not going to, it's not going to end, end its life term, okay, um, at that value. It may still have five or six years of, of useful life left in it, and that's why the value of that asset may be different to, to the line item in the balance sheet. Okay, so, so I'm just giving you guys and, and ladies some nuances of, of of how one values NAV. And again, in summary, it's not, you, you, take, you take the balance sheet for sure and you look at all the line items of assets and you look at all the line items of liabilities, but you may, for the purposes of the valuation for a purchase price, change those values, okay? Uh, as for the reasons that, that I've discussed. So, I mean, what, what we... Yeah, so, so, so those line items may be valued, as I said, at a fair market value, at a replacement value, or in fact, at a liquidation value. Liquidation value could be the assumption, be, the assumption would be that the company's going to be wound up and we're going to sell all the assets at whatever we can get at an auction and we're going to pay off the, the creditors and we get to a net, hopefully get to a net. Okay. Um, I've discussed this concept of depreciation. I'm not going to go into it. It, it was just to illustrate that what uh, I'm repeating myself, what you see in the balance sheet is not necessarily a true value for getting to this NAV. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what, what underpins NAVs for, for valuation purposes is that the assumption is that the businesses are going concerned. So, so what you see on a balance sheet is, is actually a live living animal. It still has life in it for, 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 for the number of years in which the investor wishes to recoup its investment. Um, and that's this concept of a going concern. Okay. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not normal for evaluation to occur on the assumption that the business is going to be shut down, broken up, assets sold, creditors paid, and the parties walk away. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's very simply put the, the, the NAV um, model. Um, what types of companies would one apply the NAV model as opposed to an earnings multiple? Um, I mean, I guess as a general principle, Adam, and you can help me here, is a, is a company that's very heavily reliant on equipment, uh, buildings, um, inventories, uh, heavy, heavy, you know, like massive, massive um, uh, quantities of stock in warehouses, etc. Um, you know, although they also will have an earnings you know, ultimately, ultimately, what an investor is looking for is to make a net profit, which is derived from earnings. 
um, where the weight of the value of the company sits in hard, tangible assets, that is when the parties will tend towards valuing it on an NAV basis. Yeah, Mike. Um, so I guess I'd say um, NAV. Uh, NAV is not a is not a valuation that's often used for successful businesses as the sole uh, valuation methodology. So the last time I used the NAV was for a logistics company. It was a trucking business. It owned a couple of hundred trucks and a and a and a, a logistics warehouse, uh, a DC. And what happened is it lost a customer that. Uh, gave it 80% of its revenue, which means sort of the bottom fell out of this business. It couldn't service its debt anymore. And so what it needed is, is, is it needed somebody to sort of come in and, 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 and sort of help it out of the trouble. And, and there, because there was no income uh, or majority of the income was gone, uh, we, did, we did a straight out uh, net asset valuation, which was a all these trucks had a market value and you all know when you buy a vehicle, it's worth a lot of money and the minute you drive it out of the showroom floor, it starts uh, depreciating, but you've got all this debt and the debt is sort of escalating by interest. And a lot of the times you're, you know, you don't have much equity in your vehicles. Thankfully for this business, you know, it was a seasoned business. There was, there was quite a lot of value in the vehicles and the property. And uh, the people who exited still got some cash out. But, you know, sometimes receiving value for your business means not being liable for its debts. So, I mean, this company had about 60 or 80 million rand of exposure to three banks. Uh, and the shareholders had all signed personal suretyship and actually getting somebody to come in, pay them that asset value and take over the debt was, was actually uh, a big relief. Um, the other thing I also just wanted to say is you must remember when you when we value a business, it normally has multiple shareholders. And you've always got to watch out who you're looking after in evaluation because you know there's there's often talk about the shareholders who control the business, they must get a premium for their shares, and the minority shareholders who don't have any sort of control should should get a discount. So, you know, if you value a company and let's say the company's worth 10 million rand and somebody owns 80% of the shares and the other one owns 20% of the shares, it doesn't necessarily mean that if, if the business is worth 10 million, the 80% the shareholder gets 80% of 10 million. So you, you, you'll hear things like uh, discounts for minorities and, and premiums for for majorities and you know depending who you you're acting for if you're acting for the minority you're going to say no you know it's worth 10 million i want 20 percent of it you're not going to you're not going to discount um, my value and then another common term you'll use in you'll hear in the context of net asset value is in is in companies listed on the stock exchange you'll often hear that companies are trading at a discount to the nav and all that means is a company's share price is, is something that's quite volatile when you're in a stock exchange and sometimes even open to manipulation. And, and, and there's lots of companies on the stock exchange where if you just buy up all their shares on the stock exchange at the price they're trading at, you're actually going to buy the company at a ma massive discount to its NAV. And that in sort of takeovers and mergers is a big thing because it's a big driver 
to get cheap assets if you're trying to build your balance sheet as an investment company. And, you know, post-COVID, there's a lot of companies like that. Uh, and the only thing that sort of stops these type of takeouts is if there's a strong majority shareholder who can who can block these takeovers. And you may have heard things like poison pills and the like, but that's for another day. Thanks, Mike. Okay, great. Thanks very much, Adam. Um, I mean, just just on closing, coming back to your truck, your truck illustration, Adam. I guess that would be almost the valuation not of, of assets, not as a not on the basis of a going concern, but underlying principle or assumption would be would be a liquidation, um, and, and literally, you know, the 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 company the trading would be shut down, and you're just stripping out assets. But yeah, thanks everybody. We we it's time up, um, so I think we all need to go our separate ways. But but thanks very much um, to Adam, and again, as I said to Jacques and Lisa for setting it up. I mean, before we close, are there any questions that anybody wishes to ask, or any comments anyone wants to make? Mike, if I can just on on valuations. I mean, we're talking valuations. Um, from the point of view of purchasing businesses. But I think um, with the new Companies Act, um, one of the, the valuation principles that have become quite important, I think, is on business rescue. One of the reasons or, or criteria why you can adopt a business rescue plan is if the creditors will get more in the business rescue process than they would in the um, in the liquidation. So there your, your, your valuation on a net asset value base to compare the two is, is quite important at the end of the day. But that's got nothing to do with, with buying or selling the business. That's just one of the examples of where valuations can become quite important. Hey Jacques, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, the companies that introduced you know, quite a new concept. I mean, the other one, is the, the fairness opinion that's required in terms yes. of uh, chapter five. So when you undertake certain fundamental transactions um, in chapter five, is it chapter five of, of, uh, of the Companies Act, um, the, the Companies Act actually requires you to get an independent expert to value the business to protect minorities. So for instance, for schemes of arrangement in terms of section 114 and, and, and um and and even other transactions so you'll see a lot of that also and purely, so, no, adam just if, the, if 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 a company is issuing shares at the moment the directors need to <laughs> need to uh, apply their minds that a fair value is being or fair price is being paid for those shares it's also i think a new concept if i'm not mistaken I think that's more concept of adequate consideration as opposed to fairness mm. you, know, you could you could issue shares at a huge discount, but you're getting some other sort of unquantifiable value. I mean, we often see this when we issue shares to staff, where you, where you issue it at the discount. You know, it's it's a it's an obligation on the board to, I think it's section 40 sub 1, to issue shares at for adequate. So adequate I think it's a, yeah, deliberate, deliberately not using, you know, any concept of, of fair value, so on. fair value, yeah. But we're yeah. still waiting for the courts to tell us what adequate consideration means. We're all just sort of feeling around in the dark at the moment. Okay, great. Thanks, Jacques. Um, 
I think we better wrap it up. It's 8.37 and everyone needs to get to their desks. Um, so until next time, we, Jacques, just, and Lisa, just remind us, when is our next session? Uh, two weeks from today, Elisa. Yes, Jacques, that's right. Um, right. What is the date two weeks from today? But it's a, it's a, it's a third. Coffee with commercial everybody will be the first and the third Tuesday of every month. If there is the third Tuesday, ignore it. Or a fourth Tuesday or fifth Tuesday. We just ignore it. It's, we, we just, we just so work that on be, the Could that be the 16th? Are we talking about the 16th then? Would that be the next one? I think month? that would be the 16th. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 16th. Right. Okay. Okay, everyone. Let's wrap it up. Um, thank you for attending. And we will see you on the 16th. Mike, Adam, thank you very much for your contribution. Very, very interesting. Thank and you. Everybody learned something. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Bye. Bye. Enjoy the day. Bye.